Going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the fourth piece in Hilchos Psule HaMukdashim. This is Perak Yodalit Halacha Beis. And Rab Chaim is revisiting a concept that he discussed in the last piece of Hilchos Masa HaKarbanos. In Perak Yodtes Halacha Yod Gimel, which is the distinction between two different statuses that the extra blood of the Karban gets after the Zrika. So after the sprinkling, the remaining blood can either be Shirayim, which is leftover, or dachoi, which means it's pushed off from being used. And Rab Chaim is going to explore the distinction between those two categories. And he's going to focus on a case that he discussed at the end of the piece in Elchus Masa Karbanos in the third and final paragraph of that piece when someone puzzle who's disqualified from doing the zrika does a zrika, what is the status of the remaining blood? So that's going to be the case that Rab Chaim is going to pick up with in this piece and explore in greater length where someone disqualified did the zrika what is the halachic status of the rest of the blood from that carbon the Rambam writes, Someone who was disqualified from doing avoda in the Beis HaMikdash, who nevertheless did one of the avodas. So they either collected the blood or they carried it where it needs to go or they did the sprinkling. And while they were doing it, they had an improper intention to do the service of this carbon outside of the proper place or the the proper time, lo so that's not going to invalidate the korban because this person anyways shouldn't be doing the avoda. Since this person is disqualified, the service that they're doing is meaningless, so the fact that they had an improper intention is not going to affect the korban. If this was a proper service, so then an improper intention would be a problem, but since this is an improper service, so it saves the improper intention from affecting the carbon. Now the Rambam continues, The rest of the blood from what he collected or from the vessel that he did Zrika, whatever blood is left over in there should be poured out. You can't use that for Zrika. But if there's blood left in the animal... So then, then someone who is eligible to do this avoda should go back, collect new blood, and do a new zrika, and that will be a valid carbon. So the Rambam distinguishes in the case of someone who's pusel, who's invalid to do this avoda, who either collects the blood or does the zrika, so you need to get rid of the blood that they collected or that they used part of it for zrika. Whatever blood remains after that improper avoda needs to be thrown away. Someone eligible for the avoda cannot use any of that blood for the zrika. But if there's blood left in the animal, so then someone who's eligible could redo the whole process, collect the blood, or redo zrika with new blood, and then it will be an eligible carbon. So Rab Chaim wants to understand why the Rambam is differentiating between the blood which is in that vessel versus the blood which is left on the carbon animal. There doesn't seem to be a good reason to differentiate between those two types of blood. Because if this zrika is considered a valid zrika, so then all the rest of the blood, even the one in the animal, should be considered either shirayim or dachui, either left over or pushed off. So all of the blood should be disqualified from use in future zrika. So the eligible person should not be able to go to the animal and collect new blood. All of the blood should be disqualified. And 
if the puzzle, the disqualified person's zrika, is not a valid zrika, so there was no zrika done on this carbon, so then he should be able to use even the blood which is in the vessel. There's no reason to disqualify any of the blood. So there doesn't seem to be a reason to differentiate between blood in the vessel versus blood in the animal. It should all depend on whether this zrika is considered a zrika or not. And depending on that, either all of the blood should be disqualified or all of it should be eligible. So in fact, Rab Chaim points out that this distinction the Rambam is making is not his own. It comes from the Gemara. The Gemara in Zvachim Lamedalad and Me'ila Hay says that if a puzzle, so someone who was disqualified does the zrika, with the exception of a Kohen who is inherently eligible, he's just tame, he's impure at this moment. So with that exception, any other disqualification, if they do the zrika, so they don't disqualify the rest of the blood. It doesn't become shirayim. And even someone tameh, so this is a better zrika, meaning it's more likely to make the blood shirayim, but if he also had improper intentions about doing the service of this carbon while he did the zrika, so such a bad zrika from someone tameh who also had the wrong intentions of how to do this avoda, so the Gemara in Zvach and Chavav says that again, you can redo the zrika in that case. So the Gemara is very clear that there are cases where the zrika is so bad that you can redo it with new blood and that will keep the carbon valid. But that's exactly where the Rambam got this idea that if a puzzle, a disqualified person did zrika or a tame did zrika with improper intentions about where or when to do the avoda. So even though that zrika is invalid, but if a valid eligible Kohen comes around and does a new zrika, so then the carbon is going to be valid. The only question that Rab Chaim has is why does the Rambam say that the blood in the vessel needs to get thrown out? If we're saying that the Zrika was disqualified, so you can redo the Zrika again with an eligible Kohen, so why do you even need to throw out the blood which is in that vessel that the puzzle person used? So that's the question that Rab Chaim is left with that he's going to answer. So he explains that according to the Rambam, there's a big distinction between the Shirayim status versus the Dachui status. The Shirayim status means that as soon as someone does Zrika, the remaining blood from this carbon is transformed actively into the status of remaining a blood. So it loses its status of blood, which is eligible for Zrika, and it immediately becomes Shirayim. It's now the leftover blood. Its status is transformed by the fact that the Zrika was done on this carbon. So now any remaining blood has a different status of remaining Shirayim blood. And its new halacha is that it cannot be used for Zrika. It must be poured at the base of the Mizbeah. So that is the new halacha, which governs Shirayim blood. Dachui, pushed off blood on the other hand, means something very different. It means that once the zrika is done, so by definition this carbon's process is over and whatever blood is remaining is not needed. So it's not an active process but it's a passive process since this blood is not needed there's nothing to do with it anymore so it gets pushed off from being used as part of the zrika. So dachoi doesn't really change the status of the blood. It just means that since there is no more zrika to do for this carbon, so there's no more use for the remaining blood from this carbon. So now developing these two categories further, says Rab Chaim, let's say there would be a case where the zrika was done with the blood, but the zrika of the carbon was invalid. 
So there's a strange type of zrika that the blood is considered to have done zrika, but it's not valid for the process of the carbon. There was no atonement for this carbon. So now if we try to plug in these two categories to this thought experiment, so in terms of the shirayim, the rest of the blood in the vessel is still going to be considered shirayim because once the zrika was done with blood from that vessel, so it automatically transforms the rest of the blood in that vessel into shirayim blood. So whatever blood is in that vessel is going to have the status of shirayim blood. On the other hand, the blood which remains in the animal does not become shirayim because it was not in that vessel from which the zrika was done. So the only thing which could affect the blood that remains in the animal is dachui if it's pushed off. But this case does not create dachui because the zrika wasn't valid for the process of the carbon. So this carbon has not been completed yet. There was no atonement. So since the zrika wasn't valid for the overall carbon, so that doesn't create dachui because we still need the blood to do zrika. So whatever blood remains in the animal does not get affected by the zrika which was done. That zrika only affects the blood, but it's not going to affect the overall carbon. So any blood remaining in the animal does not have dachui. It also does not have shirayim, and therefore it's valid for continued use. So basically applying Reb Chaim's distinction between shirayim and dachui into this thought experiment of a case where there was zrika done on the blood, but it was not enough to create atonement for the carbon, so what's going to emerge is that there is shirayim, but there's no dachui. So any blood which was in the vessel was transformed into shirayim, but any blood in the animal is not affected by what happened. Says Rab Chaim, that's exactly the case where someone puzzle did the zrika. There was zrika done with this blood, but it didn't create atonement, it didn't finish the process of the carbon. So that's exactly why the Rambam holds that even though if someone valid goes ahead and collects new blood, they can do the zrika. We do not apply the status of dachui to the blood in the animal. That's because the zrika never atoned. So the process of the carbon wasn't done. There's a lingering need for zrika. So if a valid Kohen collects new blood, then he could do the zrika and it's not disqualified because of dachui. But the blood which is in the vessel from which the puzzle person did the zrika, that blood does become shirayim. Even though that zrika was invalid from the perspective of the carbon. It did not finalize the process of atonement, but it's still a zrika from this blood. So whatever blood remains in that vessel is considered shirayim. So it now has the new halachic status that it needs to be poured out. It cannot be used for zrika. It must be treated like shirayim blood and poured. So that's how the Rambam arrived at this distinction in the case where someone puzzled did the zrika between the blood that's in the vessel versus the blood in the animal. And Rab Chaim adds that there's very strong support for this view of the Rambam in the Mishnah in Zvachim Lamedezim at Aleph. The Mishnah is talking about where someone puzzled, someone disqualified, did the zrika in the wrong place. So the Mishnah rules in Yesh Dam HaNefesh, Yachzor HaKosher V'Yikabel. If there's blood left in the animal, so then someone eligible should go and collect new blood and do a new zrika. So you see that even though the kosher, the eligible 
Kohen could collect new blood and do a new Zerika, but he cannot use the blood which is in the vessel that the Pussel used to do his Zerika. So the careful reading of this Mishnah seems to indicate, like the view of the Rambam, that even though the Pussel's Zerika does not invalidate the whole Karban, so a Kosher Kohen could redo the Zerika, but he needs to collect new blood from the animal, he cannot use the blood which is in the vessel that the Pussel already used. Because the Mishnah doesn't offer that as a suggestion. It doesn't say that he can just reuse that blood and do a new Zerika. It says he needs to go collect new blood from the animal. So that shows like the Rambam holds that once the Pussel used blood from the vessel, the rest of the vessel becomes Shirayim and it's ineligible for the Zerika. In order to do a new Zerika, the Kosher Kohen needs to collect new blood from the animal, which did not become Shirayim. And it's also not Dachui because in this case, the Pussel's Zerika did not complete the process of the Karban and turn all the rest of the blood into Dachui. Now in the next paragraph, Rab Chaim continues with another element of this discussion and he wants to understand why should it be that a Pussel's Zerika is considered a Zerika at all? Since it doesn't bring with it atonement, so it's not a valid Zerika, so what does it mean to say that it's still considered a Zerika? So Rab Chaim connects this idea with another halacha, which is im Allah lo yered. There are certain disqualified items, which even though they shouldn't be put on the Mizbeach, if they are put on the Mizbeach, then you shouldn't take them off. So this is the debate at the beginning of the ninth parak of Zvachim, Daf Pei Gimel Amid Aleph. The Mishnah quotes a debate between Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Gamliel. What is the extent of this halacha? Rabbi Yoshua says, Kol le'ishim im lo yered, Anything which is fit to be burned as a carbon on the Mizbeach, so even if it's disqualified, let's say the meat of the carbon is disqualified, so since in general it's supposed to be burned on the Mizbeach, if that meat is put on the Mizbeach, it shouldn't be taken down. Rabbi Gamliel has a different criteria. Anything which is fit to be placed on the Mizbeach, even if it's not burned, if it's disqualified and placed on the Mizbeach, then it should be left there. So the Mishnah says, The difference between Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua is blood and the Nesachim, the liquid offerings. So in those two cases, they're put on the Mizbeach, but they're not burned. So according to Rabbi Yoshua, they should be taken off. According to Rabban Gamliel, they're not. Now it's unclear how the Rambam rules in this debate, and Rab Chaim is going to develop an approach that the Rambam rules like Rabban Gamliel. We'll see after the piece that there's some debate about this, so there are others who read the Rambam differently, but it's going to be very important for Rab Chaim's analysis that the Rambam rules like Rabban Gamliel, because that's going to mean that the blood is one of the things which is included in the halacha of Im Allah Lo Yered, that if it's put on the Mizbeach, it shouldn't be taken down. So that's going to be a crucial element of Rab Chaim's whole analysis. So Rab Chaim begins, he says that the Rambam earlier in Hilchus Psula Mukdashim Parak Gimel Halacha Yotes, he rules that Kleshares, the vessels of the Beisam Mikdash, sanctify even disqualified blood. So even though this blood should not be used, if it is placed in the vessels of the Beisam Mikdash, which sanctify blood in general, so they will sanctify also this disqualified blood. So Rab Chaim argues that that is in line with Rabban Gamliel's view, that the blood is also included in those things which get sanctified by the Mizbeach, and in this case by the Kleshares, by the vessels. According to Rabbi Yehoshua, the halacha of sanctifying 
disqualified items only refers to things which are burned on the Mizbeah, so the meat and the organs, but it does not include the blood. So the vessels also would not sanctify disqualified blood. So the fact that the Rambam holds that the vessels do sanctify disqualified blood means that he rules like Rabban Gamliel. Now, developing this further, so Rab Chaim says that it seems that according to Rabban Gamliel and the Rambam who rules like him, so the same would be true if a puzzle, someone invalid, did the zrika. So again, we would apply the halacha of him Allah lo yered. Once he sprinkled the blood on the Mizbeach, it shouldn't be taken down because the halacha of him Allah lo yered includes also blood according to Rabban Gamliel. So that would include also if someone puzzle did the zrika. And Rab Chaim has a proof for this because the Gemara in Zvachim Samech Tes discusses the case of a czar, a non-Kohen who did Malika. So Malika was the way that they would kill a bird offering. They did not do Shechita like we do for all our meat that we eat and like they did for all the animal offerings, but the bird offering was killed without Shechita. So it had a whole different process. So in the case where the non-Kohen improperly did Malika, so the Gemara and the Rambam records this in Tzulei HaMukdashim Gimel Tesvav, applies the rule of Im Al-Salo that if it goes on the Mizbeach, then it should not be removed. But the problem here is what can stay on the Mizbeach? It can't refer to the actual animal itself, which was totally improperly handled. So Rab Chaim explains it must refer to the blood. Even though it was improperly handled, it can still stay on the Mizbeach. So the same halacha should apply also for Pasal Zrika. But the problem with this interpretation is that the Rambam in Psula Mokdashim Gimel Zayin seems to contradict it. He talks about the case of a Tame who did Zrika. So that's a Kohen who inherently is eligible to do the Zrika. Just in this case, he happens to be impure. So that's a better Zrika than when a non-Kohen does the Zrika. And there the Rambam rules that since it's a lower level problem of Tumah, which at times can be overcome. So therefore, if he did the Zrika, we don't have to take the blood off the Mizbeach. So the clear implication is that if it would be an actual puzzle, someone who's not a Kohen who did the Zrika, so then even after he did the Zrika, we would clean it off the Mizbeach. We would not leave it there because if it went up, we would take it down. So here the Rambam seems to contradict Rab Chaim's interpretation that we apply im Allah lo yered even to the zrika of a non-Kohen. So Rab Chaim answers that in fact, the Rambam does hold like he's been saying, that if a puzzle did the zrika, we leave the blood on the Mizbeach, we do not take it down. What the Rambam is referring to in Gimel Zion, when he says that only a Tame we would leave it on the Mizbeach, not for a puzzle who's a non-Kohen, there he's referring not to the blood, but to the Amurin, the organs of the animal of the carbon which are burned on the Mizbeach. So there the halacha is going to depend on whether the person that did Zrika was pusel or tame. If they're a real puzzle, so then that's going to be in the category of nishpach dama. The halacha is that if the blood was spilled, so no zrika at all was done, then if someone puts the emurin, the rest of the carbon on the mizbeach, we take it down. So a carbon which is totally missing zrika, if someone puts it on the mizbeach, it has to be taken down. We do not burn it. So that's what the Rambam means to say. That if a non-Kohen did the zrika, then this carbon is 
is as if there was no Zerika because the Zerika did not accomplish anything. So once we classify this carbon as missing Zerika, then if they put the Emurin on the Mizbeach, they have to take them down. But that's the leniency that the Rambam emphasizes that if it was someone who is a Kohen, who is valid to do Zerika, they just happen to be Tamei, then in that case, we don't consider it a meaningless Zerika. It's as if there was a problematic Zerika, but if they put the Imurin on the Mizbeach, they could leave them there. So when a non-Kohen does the Zerika, there's going to be a distinction between the blood itself, which can stay on the Mizbeach, because it's considered Lach Moshal Mizbeach. There's a rule that anything which goes onto the Mizbeach belongs to the Mizbeach. So the blood is included in that rule, even though someone Pussel did the Zerika, but once the blood goes onto the Mizbeach, it does not come down. It belongs to the Mizbeach. But that doesn't apply to the Emurin. It's not going to change the status of the rest of the carbon, which is considered as if it's missing Zerika. So if those Emurin go on the Mizbeach, they do have to be taken down. That's different, though, than the Kohen Tameh who did the Zerika. There, not only does the blood stay on the Mizbeach because of the rule of Lach Moshel Mizbeach, because it belongs to the Mizbeach, but there's also a meaning to the Zerika. The Zerika is considered to have been a valid Zerika, and the proof for that is because when a Tameh does Zerika, the rest of the blood gets the halacha of dahui. It's pushed off. It's unneeded. So that shows us that the zrika of the Tameh accomplishes its goal. So that's why the Rambam rules that if the emurin of that carbon get put on the Mizbeach, you burn them there because they're coming from a carbon that had zrika. So there's a very fundamental difference between a non-Kohen who does zrika versus a Kohen Tameh who does zrika. The Kohen Tameh's zrika is a valid zrika, and that transforms forms the status of the whole carbon. As opposed to the pusel who does Zrika, so his Zrika is meaningless. That's why the Emurin that go on the Mizbeach have to be taken down because they're coming from a carbon which is missing Zrika. But the blood itself can remain on the Mizbeach. You don't have to take it down, not because the Zrika was valid in any way, but because of the rule of Lach Moshel Mizbeach, anything that goes on the Mizbeach belongs to the Mizbeach. So this blood belongs to the Mizbeach and it does not need to to be taken down. So that's the way Rab Chaim makes sense of the Rambam. Again, the Rambam is ruling like Rabban Gamliel that the blood has a halacha of him Allah lo yered. That's why if a puzzle does zrika, we do not take the blood down in any case. But according to Rab Chaim's reading, the Rambam points out that there is a difference between whether a puzzle or a tame did the zrika with regards to the rest of the carbon. If a puzzle did the zrika, so then the rest of the carbon cannot be brought on the mizbeach, and if it is, it has to be taken down. Whereas if a Kohen Tame did the Zerika, that's a valid Zerika, so the rest of the carbon can be burned on the Mizbeach. That is the way Rab Chaim interprets the Rambam's rulings in this issue. Now, using this idea, so Rab Chaim says that we could answer the question of Tosos and Zvachim Kuvches Amad Aleph. There's a position of Rabbi Yehuda that if someone takes blood outside the Beis HaMikdash and then sprinkles it on the Mizbeach, they have to take it off the Mizbeach. The halacha of blood which left the Beis HaMikdash is im Allah Yered. If it was put on the Mizbeach, it must be taken down. Now, the Gemara says that anything which could not be put 
put on the Mizbeach, there's no punishment for doing it outside of the Beis HaMikdash. That's the general rule. So Tosos asks, according to Rabbi Yehuda, what's the problem of Zorek Miktas Damim Bachutz if somebody sprinkles some of the blood outside the Beis HaMikdash, how could they be obligated in that case? Because as soon as they take the blood outside the Beis HaMikdash, it's disqualified. It cannot be put on the Mizbeach. So they should not be obligated for sprinkling it outside of the Beis HaMikdash. That's Tosos's question. Says Rab Chaim, according to his approach, we could say, that what Rabbi Yehuda means is not that the blood itself has to come off the Mizbeach. Rabbi Yehuda agrees that even blood which is taken outside the Beis HaMikdash, if it's sprinkled on the Mizbeach, the halacha is im Allah lo yered. What Rabbi Yehuda meant is that the emurin, the rest of the carbon, would need to be taken off the Mizbeach. Because since this blood was taken outside the Beis HaMikdash, it was disqualified. So the zrika that was subsequently done was invalid. So the rest of the carbon has the status of a carbon which had no zrika, and if it's put on the Mizbeach, it has to be taken off. So that's what Rabbi Yehuda meant, but he agrees that the blood itself, even though it left the Beis HaMikdash, if it was then sprinkled on the Mizbeach, it would stay there because of Im'ala lo yered. So that's why if someone sprinkles that blood outside the Beis HaMikdash, they would be punished. So Rabbi Chaim is borrowing the approach he used to explain the Rambam's rulings for Rabbi Yehuda also, that there's a distinction between the blood itself, where we apply the rule of Allah lo yered, versus the status of the zrika. Even though the blood doesn't need to be taken off the Mizbeach, but it's not considered a zrika, so the rest of the carbon has the status of missing zrika. So now, having developed this idea that when a puzzle does zrika, the blood can remain on the Mizbeach, because of the halacha of Allah lo yered, that according to Rabban Gamliel, even the blood is included in the halacha that disqualified blood which was sprinkled on the Mizbeach can stay there because it's lach moshal Mizbeach, it belongs to the Mizbeach, but that does not mean that there was any zrika. It's still totally missing the process of zrika. So now says Rab Chaim, this perfectly explains how he explained the status of a puzzle's zrika in the first paragraph. Rab Chaim had said that when a puzzle does zrika, it's considered zrika for the blood, but it's not zrika for the carbon. So that's the reason why it makes the rest of the blood in the vessel shirayim, but it doesn't change the blood which is still on the animal because there was no zrika which was done. So now we understand this perfectly because according to paragraph two, when a puzzle does zrika, so the blood is able to stay on the mizbeach because of imala lo yered. So that's why it is zrika with regards to the blood, but it doesn't affect the carbon because it's not a real zrika. So the idea in paragraph two forms the basis for the explanation in paragraph one. Since a puzzle's zrika is not a real zrika, but the blood is able to stay on the mizbeach because of imala lo yered. So that's why with regards to the blood, it's considered a zrika and it affects the status of the blood in that vessel. But with regards to the carbon itself, it's not considered a zrika. So this all ties together and explains the case of a puzzle who does Zrika very nicely. And the last detail Rab Chaim adds is that the Gemara in Zvachim Lamedalet has a question what if the cup itself is puzzle? So up until now we've been discussing someone who is puzzle, a non Kohen who did Zrika, but what about if the cup itself is filled with puzzle blood? So Rashi explains that means that this cup of blood was taken outside the Beis HaMikdash and then brought 
back in. So the Gemara wants to know what is the status of Zrika, which is done from a puzzle cup, which was taken outside the Beis Mikdash. And the answer is that the puzzle cup is equivalent to someone puzzle doing Zrika. So Rab Chaim says that that means all psulim, whether the person is pasal, whether the cup is pasal, are equivalent. And that's as he explained. The blood can stay on the Mizbeach because that's the rule of the Mizbeach that disqualified blood can stay there. But the Zrika is invalid in terms of the Karban, meaning the Zrika did not accomplish the atonement and the Karban is still missing Zrika. So that's Rab Chaim's approach to explain the Rambam. The two key conceptual points that he developed in this piece are in the first paragraph he distinguishes between shirayim versus dachui shirayim is an active change in the status of the blood once the zrika happens dachui means that after the zrika there's no more need for the blood and then in paragraph two rab chaim distinguishes between disqualified blood versus the emurin the organs of the carbon that even though we apply the halacha vim yered to the blood once the blood is sprinkled on the mizbeach even though it was was improperly done, it doesn't come down. But that doesn't affect the rest of the carbon. If those organs are put on the Mizbeach, then they have to be brought down. And Rab Chaim connects both of these conceptual points in the case of a puzzle, a non-Kohen who does Zrika. So the Zrika is meaningless. It doesn't count for the rest of the carbon, but it is a Zrika with regards to the blood because the blood stays on the Mizbeach. So that's exactly why it creates a status of Shirayim on any blood in the vessel. But it does not create dachui because the overall zrika wasn't done for this carbon. So that's Rab Chaim's piece. Now there's a good amount of discussion about this piece in contemporary svarim, and I'm not going to go through every detail, but I am going to try to summarize two of the major discussions and the major points within those discussions. Now, for some references, in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidusha Ben Chaim Halevi, they go through a lot of this. Also in the Sefer Minchas Avram, which is a very important collection of Brisker Torah on Seder Kodshim. So in Zvachim Chelek Beis and Chelek Gimel, he discusses a lot of this, as well as in the Sefer Zevach Yaakov, which also quotes a lot of Brisker ideas on Zvachim. So he also discusses this piece, and he has a whole simon which is devoted to this piece. So that's just some of the references for anyone that wants to look it up. Now, two of the major discussions which come up here, the first is that Rab Chaim argues that the Rambam holds like Rabban Gamliel, that even blood or nesachim, the liquid offerings, which are disqualified, which go to the Mizbeach, are not taken down. And that's against Rabbi Yehoshua, who holds that the halacha vim alu lo yerdu only applies to things which are burned on the Mizbeach, so the organs or the meat of the carbon, but it does not apply to the blood or the nesachim. And Rab Chaim's proof for this is that the Rambam rules that if disqualified blood was put into the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash, so then it's transformed, it's now qualified. So the fact that the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash can change disqualified blood, according to Rab Chaim, means that the Rambam holds like Rabban Gamliel, that disqualified blood on the Mizbeach would also become qualified. Now in this regard, Rab Chaim is really a minority opinion, and he's going against the major commentators on the Rambam, because the Rambam in Hilchus Psula Mukdash and Parak Gimel Halacha Gimel, as well as Parak Gimel Halacha Yudalid, in both of those halachas, he seems to say very clearly like Rabbi Yoshua, and that's how the Kesef Mishnah and the Lechem Mishnah understand it. Because he uses the exact language of Rabbi Yoshua, Shekol Haro'i Le'ishim, any 
anything which is fit to be burned on the Mizbeach, even if it's disqualified, if it goes on the Mizbeach, it doesn't come down. So the Rambam seems to clearly hold like Rabbi Yehoshua, and that's the dominant approach also in the Achronim. So the Tara Sakodesh in his commentary on Zvachim, Peidal Ramad Beis, as well as Rabbi Sir Zalman Meltzer in the Evan Ha'ozel and Hilchus Masa Karbanos, Perak Yutes Halacha Yud Gimel. Everybody's holding that the Rambam holds like Rabbi Yehoshua, the way the classical commentators understood it. So Rab Chaim is really in the minority of saying that the Rambam holds like Rabban Gamliel, and the Minchas Avram even quotes that Rab Chaim's son, Rab Velvel, the Brisker Rav, he also said that the simple reading of the Rambam is that he rules like Rabbi Yoshua. So even Rab Chaim's son, who very much respected his father, still sided with the other approach. So that's really the more mainstream approach, and Rab Chaim is a minority opinion. Now, why is Rab Chaim so intent on saying that the Rambam holds like Rabban Gamliel? So the key proof that Rab Chaim has to his view is that the Rambam in Sula Mukdashim Gimel Yutes rules that if disqualified blood gets put in the clay shares, in the vessels of the Beis Mikdash, so now it's qualified to be used. So according to Rab Chaim, that could only be true according to Rabban Gamliel. Now the way the Taras HaKodesh and the Evan HaAzal explain this is that the Rambam makes a distinction between if the disqualified blood was put on the Mizbeach versus if it was put in the clay shares. Even though the Rambam holds like Rabbi Yoshua that if the disqualified blood went on the Mizbeach it has to come down, that's because the blood doesn't get burned on the Mizbeach. So that's not the proper usage of the blood. But the blood does, of course, have to go into the vessels. That's how it's transported. So since the vessels are the natural place for the blood, so that's why they're able to transform the disqualified blood. In other words, the central principle here is that anything which is disqualified gets corrected when it's put in its proper place. So according to Rabbi Yoshua, the Mizbeach only corrects things which are burned on it. Those are the only things that naturally belong there, which excludes blood. But the Kleshares are totally different because they're supposed to house the blood. So they are going to transform the blood. So the way the Achronim understand the Rambam, he rules like Rabbi Yehoshua with regards to the Mizbeach not transforming blood. But he distinguishes that from the vessels which do transform the blood. Now the Minchas Avram quotes from Rabbi Beryl Soloveitchik, Rabbi Chaim's grandson, that he suggested that this is why Rab Chaim cannot hold like this approach of the Achronim because Rab Chaim has another idea which he quotes over there and I'm not going to go through all the details but basically Rab Chaim held that the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash do not sanctify on their own unless it's combined with going to the Mizbeach. So according to Rab Chaim there are not two different tracks one using the vessels one using the Mizbeach but the whole concept of using the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash requires that eventually this item get onto the Mizbeach. So if that's the case, that explains why Rab Chaim has to say that the Rambam holds like Rabban Gamliel because the vessels alone cannot transform the disqualified blood without relying also on the Mizbeach. The vessels always need to use the Mizbeach together in order to sanctify things. So if the Rambam says that the Pussel blood gets transformed in the vessels, that must be combined with the Mizbeach. 
So that's why, according to Rab Chaim, the Rambam has to hold like Rabban Gamliel. So basically, there's a pretty big debate between Rab Chaim and the majority of the commentators who hold that the Rambam rules like Rabbi Yehoshua, that disqualified blood does not get sanctified on the Mizbeach, versus Rab Chaim, who holds that the Rambam rules like Rabban Gamliel, that it does. And this issue centers on whether the vessels and the Mizbeach are two different tracks to sanctify things, or they have to work together. So Rab Chaim's overall perspective is that it's one track. The vessels need the Mizbeach, so that's why we can't separate between them, whereas the other Achronim have the standard explanation that it's two different tracks, and that's why they suggest that even though the Mizbeach can't transform the blood, but the vessels could. So that's a very crucial debate. Now, the Minchas Avram raises an important point, which is the Achronim's perspective has a practical problem, because generally, the blood gets to the Mizbeach through the vessels. The blood is gathered in the vessels and then transported to the Mizbeach. Now, according to the Achronim's view in the Rambam of Rabbi Yoshua, so what emerges is that the Mizbeach can't transform the disqualified blood, but the vessels could. So how do we have a practical case where the blood shows up to the Mizbeach still disqualified if it came in the vessels? So he quotes from Rab Chatzkal Abramsky in the Chazon Yechezkel that he suggested either the cases where the blood did not come in the vessel, so it was transported in an unusual way, not through the vessels of the Beis Mikdash, or it's talking about a bird offering, which has a whole different process. So that's the Chazon Yechezkel's suggestion to try to make sense of this interpretation of the Rambam. But according to Rab Chaim, this fits better because he holds that Rabban Gamliel and Rabbi Yoshua are consistent. According to Rabban Gamliel, both the vessels and the Mizbeach can transform the blood, either one of them, whereas according to Rabbi Yoshua, neither of them can transform the blood. So the case, according to Rabbi Yoshua, is very simple. The blood arrived in the vessel, which did not change it, and the Mizbeach also does not change it. So according to Rabbi Chaim, there's a benefit to the consistency that he sees in Rabbi Yoshua and Rabban Gamliel, as opposed to the other approach that argues that even according to Rabbi Yoshua's more stringent view, there's an exception that the Kleshares, the vessels, will transform the blood. So that raises the issue of what case is Rabbi Yoshua talking about, and there has to be a little bit of a forced situation. Now, the Minchas Avram makes another important point here. He says that when Rabbi Chaim quotes the Rambam in Tzulei HaMukdashim Gimel Yotes, where he rules that the vessels transform the blood, so Rabbi Chaim quotes the Rambam as saying that the blood can now be used lechatchila. The Kohen can sprinkle that blood without any worries at all, as opposed to saying that if he sprinkled it, it's going to be okay. So Rab Chaim has the stronger reading. Now, it's not totally clear. The Minchas Avram implies that Rab Chaim had a different version of the Rambam than our printed Rambams. But the other option might be that Rab Chaim's interpreting the Rambam as meaning that even Lechatchila, the Kohen, can sprinkle the blood, not just Bidi Ebed. Either way, the Minchas Avram believes that this is a big part of Rab Chaim's overall argument because since the blood transforms Lechatchila, so it's now ideal, there's no worries at all to use use that blood, so that could only be according to Rabban Gamliel. Whereas the other approach that the Rambam rules like Rabbi Yoshua, so they're going to hold that even if that blood could be used, it's only Bidiyeved, after the fact, if the Kohen used it, then he can get away with it, but he shouldn't use it ideally. So that's another part of this whole puzzle. Now, so far, we've looked at two approaches to interpreting the Rambam. There is a third approach. This is suggested by the Chafetz Chaim in Likute Halachos at the beginning of the ninth parak of Zvachim. And Reb Schneer Cutler in his discussion of this issue in Siach Erev on Kodshim Simen Lamedalid. So he seems to also side with this. The 
Chavetz Chaim had a third reading of the Rambam. He suggests that maybe the Rambam differentiates between blood and Nesachim. So even though the Mishnah conflated the two, they're one group, and either they can both stay on the Mizbeach or they both have to be removed. Chavetz Chaim suggests that maybe the Rambam differentiated between the two cases, so he rules like Rabbi Yoshua when it comes to the Nesachim, but he rules like Rabban Gamliel with regards to the blood. So that would be a third way to interpret the Rambam. And of course, then the Chavitz Chaim has to explain why the Rambam is differentiating two cases which the Mishnah treated as one group. The Chavitz Chaim has another suggestion there that maybe the Rambam really does rule like Rabbi Yoshua, that in general the blood and the Nesachim should be taken off the Mizbeach, but there are times when the blood can stay on the Mizbeach because it's part of the Emurin. It's one of the organs of the Karban. So not as blood of the Karban, but as part of the organs of the Karban, it's able to stay on there. So either way, the Chavitz Chaim suggesting that maybe the Rambam doesn't fully rule like either Rabban Gamliel or Rabbi Yoshua, but he divides the cases up a bit more. So those are the three approaches in the Achronim. According to the standard approach, the Rambam rules like Rabbi Yoshua. According to Rabbi Chaim, he rules like Rabban Gamliel. And according to the Chavitz Chaim, he rules a little bit like each of them. So this is some of the discussion about how to make sense of the Rambam's contradictory rulings and which of those positions he's following. And again, Rab Chaim's argument that the Rambam rules like Rabban Gamliel is a very important part of his overall analysis in this piece. Now, the second issue is that in the Brisker Rav's edition of his father's Sefer, Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, so he wrote a marginal comment on this piece, and he said, look in Tosos and Menachos Vav Ahmed Beis. So it's not clear from that brief one-liner what he means, but in the Chidush Griz Alashas, so he expands on this and he explains what his meaning is, which is Tosvos there writes that according to Rabbi Yehuda, who holds with regards to the blood, Im Allah Yered, that if it went onto the Mizbeach, it has to come down. So Tosos explains that to mean that the blood does not get cleaned up. So if the Kohen improperly sprinkles that blood on the Mizbeach, he doesn't need to start scrubbing it off. What it really means is that the emurim, the rest of the organs of that carbon, if they get put on the Mizbeach, then they would need to be taken down. So the main meaning of the position of Rabbi Yehuda, which is like Rabbi Yehoshua, that improper blood cannot stay on the Mizbeach, is not a reference to the blood itself, but to the emurim of the carbon. So the Briskorov says that Tosus's distinction is best understood as similar to Rab Chaim's distinction in this piece. Because in the second half, Rab Chaim argues, that even according to Rabban Gamliel that the blood can stay on there but if the Emurim are put on the Mizbeach then they would need to be taken down because there was no Zrika. So this is the same distinction as Tosvos that the blood is able to stay on there because it has a different Halacha that it now belongs to the Mizbeach as opposed to the Emurim which are governed by the Halacha that if there was no Zrika on this Karban then the Emurim need to be taken off of the Mizbeach. So according to the Briskorov Tosos's distinction is the parallel one to Rab Chaim. There is a difference in that Rab Chaim is making this distinction in Rabban Gamliel, whereas Tosus is making it in Rabbi Yoshua, but the basic conceptual idea is the same that the blood is governed by a different rule than the Emurim, and even if the blood stays, but the Emurim from that carbon would need to come down. So that's how the Brisker Rav interprets Tosus as supporting Rab Chaim's distinction in this piece. Now there is another way to look at this Tosus, and the Minchas Avram seems to suggest this from the Chazon Ish, 
Kiddush, and in the back of the Or Olam edition, they also quote this from Rav Gedalia Rabinowitz in his Sefer Gidule Hektish. So they suggest that Tosos is actually arguing with Rab Chaim, because what Tosos is saying is that even according to the view of Rabbi Yoshua, that the blood needs to be taken down from the Mizbeach, but you don't need to actually start cleaning and scrubbing the Mizbeach. So the view that the blood cannot stay on the Mizbeach means primarily that the Emurim, the rest of that carbon would need to come down. But nobody's going to hold that you actually have to start cleaning off the Mizbeach from the drops of blood on it. So according to the way this Tosfos makes sense of the debate between Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Gamliel, cleaning the Mizbeach from the blood is a totally different category. Nobody's that strict. So when we say that something has to come off the Mizbeach, it means if you can take that item off. But to have to start scrubbing something off and cleaning the Mizbeach, that we don't say. So that really goes against the way Rab Chaim sees this whole debate, because Rab Chaim does suggest that there's a concept in Halacha of removing the blood from the Mizbeach, and that's a distinct question as opposed to the rest of the Imurim, the rest of the Karban, cleaning up the blood is a separate debate in Halacha. Whereas according to Tosos, cleaning up the blood doesn't seem to be one of the potential rulings. So according to this reading of Tosos, he's not agreeing with Rab Chaim's distinction, but he's really saying something very different, that cleaning the Mizbeach from the blood that was sprinkled on it is a totally different question. It's not one of the categories in Halacha, whereas Rab Chaim's analysis in this piece obviously assumes the opposite.